Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight I'm not only joined by my co-host Steve, co-host extraordinaire, but I'm also joined by a new guest to the podcast, a producer and writer of Woofrup at Cubicle 7, Dave Allen. Steve, Dave, Welcome, and Dave especially, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Lance. I'm really pleased to be here. How are you doing, Steve? I am doing wonderful. It's Saturday. I got the day off. I'm recording. Good day. <laughs> it's a good day. Good day to talk about Warhammer. Excellent. Uh, so, Dave, this is a little unscripted here, um, but before we get started here, for, for those listeners that might not know very much about you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, what you do at Cubicle 7 and, uh, and Warhammer in general in, in your history. All right. Um, well, I've been involved with uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay for uh, a long time. So um, I first uh, got into it as a uh, GM and player in the late 80s. And I joined Games Workshop in um, the early noughties um, and was involved with um, Black Library Publishing as their web developer. So I was quite involved in the marketing of um, the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay with them. Because um, Black Industries was part of that department and they worked with Green Ronin in order to produce second edition. And I did the website, basically. That's um, awesome. Then, I did not know that. Uh, when GW Soul passed the license on to Fantasy Flight Games, I had done for the website... I'd done quite a lot of articles and um, had a bit of a reputation as being able to write for the game as well as market it. So they asked me on to help them with the third edition, and I did quite a lot of work for the third edition. I think I'm in every third edition product bar um, two or three. So a couple of the little card decks I didn't have anything to do with, and um, the Lure of Power expansion I wasn't involved with, but all the other products I had a hand in. I noticed your name in all all the ones that I have on myself, so uh-huh. that makes sense. Yeah, so um, that was with um, Jay Little and uh, later Tim Hucklebury, who now works for Cubicle 7 as well. And then when Cubicle 7 got the license, um, Andy Law, who was the producer at the start of the project, he uh, and I had um, been working together on and off during that time so he invited me on board and um, I stayed on board and uh, was offered the developer role about a year and a half ago so um, I've been working full-time for Cubicle 7 for about 18 months but have been working as a freelancer or contractor um, since they got the license. Awesome and uh, yeah I've noticed uh, in you've you've had uh, you've done a lot more writing in in a lot of the most recent releases. Um, I know uh, Altdorf was a big one that I started to to notice as well. Yeah, I think there were five of us on that, so that was me um, and then the other writers were Simon Wildman, Clive Oldfield, Jude Hornberg, and Magnusita, who does a lot of stuff online for Altdorf. and um, so it was about um, I think I did a bit more of the um, 
background to the groups and the government of the city and then the other four writers were um, involved in doing the districts and the locations. Awesome. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed the... Uh, so you worked on the different council pieces and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, some of them were um, older. So mm -hmm. the Council of State, for example, that's from Sigmar's Heirs in second edition. But the other councils were um, new for the Altdorf book. Awesome. Well, well done. I actually just read that section the other day. I was right. going through Altdorf, so... Yeah, well, we're really pleased with both the city books. So um, yeah. they've gone down really well as well with uh, the um, customers. So we're really pleased with them. Absolutely. Before we uh, move on to uh, you know the the meat of the show and stuff, first thing people always ask us, what have we been up to gaming wise, uh, just in general? So, uh, Steve, you want to get us kicked off? What have you been up to, man? Oh, sure thing here. I've been dabbling a little bit in Final Fantasy VII, trying to catch up with Lance. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> so hard. Um, also, um, I kind of went through my old games, so I really haven't been playing games, but I whipped out my 40k models i painted a little bit whipped out some old uh fantasy dwarfs that i just found Ooh. lance by the way i found uh the holders for uh the the throne model that i gave oh, you oh yeah yeah the, the so bears? i got the banner bears okay so is that so, yeah. grim grudge bearer or is it something yes else? it is yep oh, yeah. oh. yep the original uh fantasy model i finally found the the holders of the throne Oh, and a champion from 1991. <laughs> nice. No, those things, man, those things are worth their weight in gold nowadays on eBay. You can't find that stuff, man. Yeah, they are, they are rare now. I mean, yeah, it's pure luck if you happen to get one. But uh, so, you know, uh, overall, no real gaming besides, you know, the PlayStation 4. But uh, it's been nice to take a deep dive back into my history. <laughs> nice. What about you, Dave? So were they the um, ones from the nineties then, when it was oh, on yeah. the sort of the square computer? Oh yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's not the uh, big sort of boat-shaped Thorgrim Grudgebearer um, throne. Yeah, this would have been the heavy, heavy pewter mo mo model, all metal. Right. Yep. The old classic with uh, with uh, the axe and the book. And yeah. Fact, I got that model too, Lance. So, uh, yeah, I got all that to get, get, give you. I think I just gave you the throne. <laughs> no, I think you did too, man. But, yeah, we'll have to well, – I, I feel fun. bad just taking it from you. Like I said, I, I, I might have to pay you something. So, but <laughs> what about you, Dave? What have you been up to gaming-wise, man? Well, for um, miniatures games, uh, at Cubicle 7, we sort of um, – I go into the office on Fridays because it's a two-hour drive for me, so don't go every day. But uh, – Go down on Fridays and we make a long day of it and always have a game of um, some sort of skirmish game after work. So I've been getting big into Kill Team and Adeptus Titanicus because we've been playing those two Ooh. quite a bit. How do you like Adeptus Titanicus? I've I've been eyeing it for a while. I'm really enjoying it, actually. Um, I, I prefer it to Kill Team. But um, it is it's obviously quite an investment because the Titans mm -hmm. are um, pricey. It's like a, it's a very good tactical game because um, you've got that sort of you need to do quite a lot of uh, low damage output in order to get all the void shields down and then hurt the opposing titan before they um, get their void shields back up again. Yeah. So the uh, the very basic tactics of it is that the titans tend to have either rapid firing low strength weapons that are good for getting void shields down or um, slow firing weapons that blow off parts of the actual physical mm. titan. 
So uh, you have to sort of get your guy with all the rapid, the Gatling guns and so on, and get him to shoot the Titan first, and then hopefully get all the void shields down so that your other Titan that's armed with the nasty weapons can actually blow it up. Okay. I love it. It's like Warhammerized also, Mech Warriors on steroids. Yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> a, um, I think that's exactly what it was intended to be. Right. Um, from the start was uh, the Warhammer answer to Battletech. Um, and... And then for role-playing games, we do um, a fair bit of... Obviously, we playtest all the big adventures that we um, put out, so uh, we've just run through the final two parts of the Enemy Within campaign. Ooh, and, um, that's got to be cool. Yeah, and had uh, just enough time to sort of playtest them in order so that the playtest could have a, a significant impact on the uh, production of the books as well. So it was... Um, I ran through... I was the GM through the Horned Rat, and then Podrick took over for Empire and Ruins. Nice. Did your character make it alive to the end? Um, uh, was down quite a few fate and resilience points, but he, <laughs> he was alive at the end, yes. Awesome. I, I think Padre was very, very kind. Yeah, I've been hearing I've been too kind with my players of late, but uh, right. <laughs> I have uh, one of our, uh, the Lord of the Underdeep, Nolan, uh, who joins our show quite a bit, um, he he has killed two players, uh, two player characters in an Age of Sigmar game. It's making me feel like like I'm not doing things right. I've only killed one character in my uh, Warhammer game, so. Uh, I quite like to get one of these sort of um, disposable whiteboard things. You can <laughs> sort of stick it up just in camera view and then write disease on the top of it and uh, days of the week. Just so they know uh, each of the characters' names down the uh, y-axis as well. <laughs> That's awesome. But unfortunately, not one of them caught itching pox during the Horned Rat, so uh, it was uh, wasted. <laughs> That's awesome. I was really, really trying to get them to catch diseases and they just wouldn't do it. Oh man, yeah. We have uh, we had an episode where one of my uh, uh, one of one of our players was in the water. I had them roll, and then and uh, so they all know they got a disease, but they don't know what yet because it's still incubating. So they're all they're and those waterborne diseases from Death on the Reich Companion are brutal. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Uh, well, so for me, uh, as far as uh, gaming, I have also been playing Final Fantasy, but Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade, which is the uh, the Yuffie uh, ex uh, DLC expansion, two extra chapters of playthrough. So I did that, um, and uh, it was uh, good times. And then uh, I called Steve and gave him a hard time about not catching up with me on Final Fantasy VII. So I'm glad to hear it worked, and he's, he's working through. But um, besides that, and uh, prepping for uh for uh our actual play and and stuff uh that's basically it for gaming i've been doing but uh let's move on here real quick uh before we move on to the main topic uh we'd like to thank our outstanding patreon backers their generous donations help to make this show possible and uh first up on the list is i'm probably going to say this wrong epitax 1e26 i believe his name is sean he uh contacted us but, Sean, uh, thank you so much for joining us as a patron and supporting us. And uh, there is Soren Langdog Klidgard. Uh, thank you so much for your for your support. Thank you, Soren. We really appreciate it. 
So, and uh, if if you guys would like to join these fine examples of what the old world has to offer uh, and buy us a Bugmans, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help us continue to bring you discussion and actual play in the grim and gritty world of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Check us out on patreon.com oldworldpodcast. And uh, to get us started, though, let's move on to the announcements and news. So this is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Woofrup and related news. And to kick us off, um, this is one I'm actually really excited to talk to Dave about, is uh, several blog articles. Dave has been the, the blog article mastermind over at Cubicle 7 for all of your uh, Woofrup blog needs. Um, there's been several that have come out recently Um and uh, Revenge of the Red Crown, which has some spoilers in it, FYI, for the enemy within. Um, the f- uh, future, f- uh, further future visions, which is the second of this type of visions article, which kind of teases some stuff coming out there with some artwork and and some things. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited. There's some some mercenary and Talian ties in there that I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what comes of those. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then obviously there's a bunch of folk and folklore articles. And if you haven't had a chance to look at these, um, as a GM, depending on what you're doing, these can be some really good things in there. Um, one thing is fractious, uh, fractitious nobles and their stances, um, which is uh, like I think I said this in a previous show. It should be required uh, reading for you, Steve. Um, an interesting article on the Holtzberg dynasty, which is cool. And then my favorite out of the most recent one is Mad Craw Clans, Dreams, and Depredations. Um, man, if you're going to run some goblins, there's some cool ideas in there. Uh-huh. Well, I think we're going to talk about goblins later, so I maybe save the Mad Craw Clan for them. <laughs> but um, the other um, four blogs then. So let me have a think. Yeah, often when you've uh, finished a book or finished a PDF product, um, actually a lot more fluent about talking about the subject matter than you were during the production of the um, article itself. And I think it's sometimes nice to come back for um, those sort of deep dives into things like the relationships between different noble houses or the history of a particular noble house having written the um, book in which they appear. So it would be uh, material that would be a bit too, um, I don't really want to say uh, fluffy, not the uh, best word maybe to use for it, but for inclusion in the book itself, it would be um, taking up a lot of space to talk in depth about the Holtzcrook dynasty, for example. Right. Something nice to talk about in marketing and then say, and this is uh, a sort of a deep history that is having a influence on Empire and Ruins, for example. Well, one in one article I really liked was the one where we talked about Nordland and kind uh-huh. of it, because when, when I read the Middenheim book at the first, I was so confused um, because I mean, there's, uh, there's been so many conflicting ways that Nordland is its own Nordland is subservient to Middenheim, Middenheim. Right. And mm-hmm. so I feel like that was like, I remember when we did our Middenheim review episode, I, I pointed that out as something where like I wanted a little more. Well, hey, lo and behold, Dave must have listened to that show because yeah. here it came. <laughs> oh, right. Um, well, wh- I guess the story is that back when uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay was first designed back in the late 80s, they had uh, a provincial makeup that's very different to what appeared when the third edition of Warhammer Fantasy Battle came out in the early 90s. 
and what Andy and Graham wanted to do when they took up the redesign of the enemy within was um, explain how the differences had occurred using the events of the enemy within to explain it. Hmm. So Nordland, as um, players of the battle game since the early 90s will know it, is its own grand province and very much independent and led by an elector count called uh, Theodric Gausser. Whereas if you read the Power Behind the Throne, for example, Nordland will be a protectorate of Graf Boris Todbringer of Middenheim and the Nixies, who are his lackeys, rule it on his behalf. Uh, and Empire in Ruins begins to explain how this situation changes, and the forthcoming Empire and Ruins companion will go into a lot more detail about how it changes. Ah, well, I'm excited then. Um, I know that's uh -huh. one of... Nordland's one of my favorite provinces. Um, I'm actually a big fan of most of the northern provinces, like Oslin and Oslomark right. and all that. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get more more on those uh, with coming releases. But yeah, that's You really will cool. be getting a lot more on Nordland in coming releases. <laughs> Well, with yeah, that, yeah. that's what is it? I never can say the city's name right. Sal Salmazund, Salzamund, Salzamund, right? Oh, so God. we got a tease for a, a city book on on that, which I did not expect. So, um, well, that was a curveball uh, in my mind. Yes. <laughs> what we've noticed um, a lot about uh, our customers is that uh, a lot of them would like us. The Empire is obviously a brilliant setting for games of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, and we will never abandon the Empire. But there is a certain amount of interest in seeing another setting. Mm. And so we want to, in the uh, far future, we hope to go overseas with uh, Warhammer Fantasy. Yes. What we think we need to do before we go overseas is go to a port. So Salzenland... <laughs> Uh, we sort of had the options of um, revisiting Marienburg or, or going to a Newport, and uh, we thought we'd done the um, Middenheim book, which is a sort of a revisiting of a book that had been already done. And we've done the Altdorf book, which um, was drawing from lots of different sources, but there has been an Altdorf source book before. So we thought Sulzermund was quite exciting, um, partly because it helps us go somewhere else, partly because it's somewhere new. And um, partly because one of our writers is a particular expert on Nordland as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to, to see that. Um, and uh, I, I'm hopeful. I, I mean, one of the best, our favorite things that came out of the Middenheim book um, was uh, some, some awesome player options with, uh, you know, Middenheim uh -huh. and Nordlander and stuff like that. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes out of that. And, yeah, there's a lot of things you can do. You can go north to Chaos and Norsica. Um, you know, and then of course Kislev's right around the corner. Um, you know, Austin Market. That, yeah, it's I, I'm excited. Um, and I know uh, way way at the beginning when we first when they first announced uh, fourth edition, Dom was talking about his desire to go to Althuan and his desire to go to you know the New World with uh, yeah. Lustria and stuff. So those are, I mean, those are books that all of us have honestly we've been waiting since first edition to get those uh -huh. kind of books right so well those desires are still very much in place and while i can't say what we're going to do because it still isn't exactly uh nailed down and the ink still isn't quite dry on the contract yet but we definitely do <laughs> intend to get away from the old world awesome 
Awesome. So uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we move on to a new product announcements, which we already been started on too, is Padraig Murphy did have an interview on, on Tabletop. Um, so that was also out there on Cubicle 7's website to check out as well. Um, but I uh, highly recommend checking out these blog articles. Uh, Dave did a great job on them and lots of interesting, varying stuff um, that came out of them. Uh, so moving on, new product announcements. So a few things. We already talked about Salesman. Uh, Salesman, man, I'm never going to get that right. Um, you got close. <laughs> I got close. Uh, there's the Wuffrup Empire map. This was like a surprise that came out of the Empire and Ruins. Um, and of course, there's you can buy the map as separate. Uh, looks pretty awesome. I already uh, pre-ordered my copy. Um, so if you have an, an opportunity to go check that out, that's on their website as well. Um, and uh, Cubicle 7 gave us a pretty good high-res version of it too um, when you uh, pre-order the, um, the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, Empire in Ruins book itself. So, uh, definitely, uh, highly recommend if you're a map person like Steve and I definitely check it out. On that note, I don't think we've had talked about this. Empire in Ruins is released <laughs> as our, uh, I don't think we've had a show since it's released. Um, so it is, I've, I've gone through it. I haven't read through it like cover to cover yet, but, um, it is a very, very, interesting and fun way to wrap up the enemy within um as a campaign so uh we've talked about this on the show we plan to have a show later with a tribute to the enemy within once the companion finally releases and we have the whole 10 book set we're going to have one episode and it will not be spoiler free we're going to talk about spoilers and everything get some guests on it'll be great um, so, but, uh, very excited that Empire and Ruins has released, um, as well. And, uh, there are some future PDF releases that were mentioned as well. Feast of Blood and No Strings Attached. Um, so, uh, and, uh, Dave, did you write either of those? Uh, I did not. So Feast of Blood is going to be this year's Halloween special. Ooh. And it's written by, um, Robin Lowe. And then No Strings Attached is, um, well... It isn't our Halloween special, but it could be, and uh, it's been written by um, Clive Oldfield. So there are two uh, scenarios that are quite heavy on the horror. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, I think we once said, like, what scenario that's ever been written for Warhammer wouldn't make a good <laughs> Halloween special? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I think when you um, see Feast of Blood, you'll uh, realize that it certainly turned up the Halloweenness up. To Ooh, okay, I'm excited. Yeah, that'd be cool. I, you know, I just love how how you guys are just just pumping out the PDFs and just so much. You know, the books. It's just it, it's so nice to get um, just have more of the uh, of uh, the, the old world um, just in yeah. general to read. It, it's just great. I think so because we had a sort of year last year where Patrick and I were kind of finding our feet, and uh, I think now things are really sort of um, speeding up. So. The benefit of having a, a slowish last year is um, being felt now. I think. Yeah, yeah, we definitely felt that. Like it was before. Like we're waiting, and now it's like you guys are yeah. just surprising us. Yeah, <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. We we joke we joke about that, Dave. We call it the dark times. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, hopefully, there's light to stay. Oh yes, you guys have been doing great. Um, in fact, we we've said this multiple times on the show. We can't keep up with the releases um, <laughs> with our show schedules. So uh, like, for example, Alt Dwarf is something we keep wanting to come back to, but then we keep having other shows that just, uh, we, ha 
you know, it's been coming fast and furious. So it's it's a great problem to have. Right. So Steve, uh, you want to just take us through yeah. real quick our yeah, new releases. So, so like I said, a future releases, nothing new, but just a reminder. Uh, we got the Empire in Runes Companion, Imperial Zoo. So excited! excited. One. Archives of the Empire Two, uh, Winds of Magic. Now, I've been waiting for that one for a while. I'm excited to see what uh, is going to be in there. Um, Up in Arms, and there, uh, a Wolfrop card game came out the blue. Ele- Electric Counts. Um, I'm going to be purchasing that no matter what, but uh, yeah, it's just, it just came out the blue. Like I said, you guys keep surprising us. <sighs> yeah, the the card uh, game, I know Steve or Matt's going to do a specific review on that. Matt's like our board gamer in here, um, but we, we were just floored. That I think what did our conversation before that had to be cut, Steve? I think we said something like um, our uh, our spies did not catch us our our pigeons were intercepted we like we generally have some some foreknowledge of what some of this stuff that one no clue nope. just out of left field like oh here's that, a card game that pigeon never made it yeah. i guess the hawk got yeah, it I, i'm sorry about the, the pigeons but we are we are ruthless <laughs> about them um the card game yes the card game's been in development for uh, about a year and a half as well and um it was sort of an existing card game that um Cubicle 7 uh, have, which is the Doctor Who card game. We sort of thought with uh, a little bit of tweaking, it could suit the idea of Elector Counts having a bit of a civil war. Mm. So um, uh, one of the Cubicle 7 members of staff, uh, Kieran Murphy, he's a really big um, board game fan, and he helped sort of um, tweak the rules. And Elaine Lithgow, who normally works on the Age of Sigmar line, she um, also helped with the rules. And then I was in charge of um, deciding which cards, what the names of the cards should be and what the art should be and how they should interact and so on. Awesome. That's it. So have you had a chance to play it, uh, test play it at all, Dave? Uh, yeah, yeah. We Well, yes, we, um, we wouldn't, uh, you know, bring a product to market without thoroughly playtesting it. Um, we all had uh, quite good, uh, good time with uh, Alexa Counts in the office and especially um i think podrick because he's had to play kieran at quite a lot of times and playing kieran is a terribly humiliating experience uh, so i think podrick's just about recovered though awesome yeah that's really cool um and i don't know uh how much i know ts is uh one of the primary writers on imperial zoo um have you have you done anything on imperial zoo or archives or any of those other ones we expecting around the corner Oh, yeah, I've worked on all of them, um, but as you say, TS really is the sole, the, the main writer behind the Imperial Zoo, and um, Elaine Lithgow, who I mentioned earlier, has helped him with um, some of the more mechanical elements of it, but um, it's really his book, um, and uh, all I've really done with it is sort of um, give it a producer pass, so uh, after the after the writer gets it, but before the editors get it, the producers get to look at it and go, oh, you know. Really yeah. like that bit, maybe more of that, or oh, I'm not sure about that bit. So it had a bit of that, um, and it's uh, a very nice, unusual beastery. Yeah, awesome. we're, we're excited. That's what we keep hearing. This is not 
they didn't want to do a, a remake of of what second because second edition is is highly lauded is is potentially uh-huh. one of the best b series in rpg history it usually yeah. makes the list um yeah and of course that was ts as well yeah yeah yep it says so there's some high expectations on that one for sure um so i'm i'm very excited to see what comes out of it because it's supposed to be a whole new way is what we keep hearing it's a whole new way yeah well yeah you'll have to wait and see awesome awesome cool so i don't i think that's all the future releases we're aware of did, did we miss any there dave no um not any. uh the order it should be i think the companion is going to land very soon um so we're just uh, sort of putting the final touches to that and then imperial zoo and archives are sort of racing to be next place up in arms will be after them and winds of magic will be the last of that list to be produced Awesome. Awesome. Right. <laughs> Very excited. I'm ready to get my ogre on. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, they're in archives, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, folks, you can find tons of this information, all the blogs and everything, Old Worlders, at Cubicle7's website at cubicle7games.com. So be sure to check all that out. And uh, so let's get into the, the main topic, the meat of the show tonight. So on tonight's show, we're going to look into a topic a little bit differently than we have in the past. Um, so we're going to be looking at some Warhammer races that usually cause PCs all sorts of trouble. And we're diving into these two races, Goblins and Skaven. Um, so uh, we want to discuss them from a lore perspective and how they're different in Warhammer compared to other settings. But we also want to discuss how to use Goblins and Skaven in your games and specifically how to make them as intriguing as Chaos. Um, Warhammer is, it's easy to get into this, all this intrigue and stuff with the chaos and, and it's lots and lots of material to help you do that. But sometimes it feels like your, you know, your ratmen and your goblins are just throwaway enemies. And, uh, we're going to talk about how that's not true. So old worlders beware the dark streets and the sewers don't linger in the mountains and don't ignore the crude totems made of dung while we simultaneously discuss and deny the existence of Goblins and Skaven on tonight's show of the Old World Podcast. All right, so we're going to deep dive into some Goblins first. So, uh, you know, Greenskins in general, we always used to talk about, you know, how they came to the Old World, even like 40K too. We we always had uh, either two likely explanations. One, they were either mistakenly introduced to the world by the old ones, or that they drifted through space and arrived on the world by some other means. And they're like spores, you know, that kind of just became them. But overall, goblins overall, they're physically, they're smaller, they're skinnier, they got long pointed noses, but they're not too small. Right, Dave, if if you could back me up on this, they're maybe three to five feet in height. I think that is their all sorts of different heights, really. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. smaller right. than humans, but uh, you know, variety um, throughout. Yeah, one thing about goblins too is is uh, goblins are probably one of the 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 tropes, if you will, of fantasy that goblins stick pretty closely to from Warhammer. Um, however, just like everything in Warhammer, like you, even if something is some sort of trope, it's Warhammerized, and goblins are no ex- exception right we call green skins green because of their skin right green goblins um and uh and they kind of fit in a lot of ways that 
that mold that you would expect a goblin from any other setting, right? Where they're like small, evil, sneaky, mm-hmm. conniving. Uh, yeah, I think my understanding is that when um, Warhammer was in its infancy, they were very much sort of um, derived from Tolkien and uh, Dungeons and Dragons sort of goblins. And then um, one of the early designers who's still with them, Dave Andrews, who does a lot of the terrain for um, the studio, I think he painted all his goblins and orcs green. And um, that sort of like took on, uh, became quite fashionable in the um, Games Workshop studio. And um, so from mid uh, 80s onwards, they were always um, presented as all green, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's kind of one of the defining characteristics of, like, a Warhammer Goblin compared to other settings in general. And, yeah, uh, Warhammer and Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but socially, I mean, yeah, yeah, they're just, like, I wouldn't say the worst. It, it's like if you were part of one of the tribes, like, the worst people you could have in your life are basically your comrades. Uh, if you're a goblin, <laughs> because you never know when you might be stabbed in the back or just used for fodder or pushed off a cliff or, uh, you know, just taken out because you're stronger and they yeah. want your spot. Because um, usually, of course, the most cruel, strong or cunning usually rules a tribe. And that's the way it is for green skins all around. Right. That's why most goblin tribes don't have an orc because the orc would be physically dominating and take over the tribe. And no... No self-deserving orc would do that <laughs> because his tribe would be uh, go- goblins. Um, I think it but, would be very, very bad for an orc's ego to be um, bossed around by a goblin. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, overall, there are so many subspecies of goblins. This, um, yeah, I actually, this is something where the subspecies of goblin is something that I don't think a lot of people know has been established slowly over time in Warhammer canon. Um, so take it away, Steve. You want to name out oh, some right. of these? So some of these are obvious. Everybody knows about night goblins, for example, right? Night goblins. The army I always wanted in fantasy Warhammer that I might get, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> But night goblins. Oh, but you're on the other side, aren't you, Steve? Where you're doors. Yes. <laughs> uh, but overall, night goblins—they're uh, pretty much creatures of the darkness. They mortally hate the light of any source. Uh, they pretty much live in near total darkness in the subterranean realms. They're subterranean spe- species of goblins, um, and they're really only known to leave their caves and hideouts when it's like the most darkest of nights. Even moonlight might affect their skin, so. That's why they're called night goblins. You only see them at nighttime or in tunnels beneath uh, dwarf strongholds or caves, things along that line. Next, we got forest goblins. We just got the PDF, uh, the Cluster Eye Tribe PDF. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, they're definitely uh, forest goblins. I wouldn't want to mess with, you know, spiders alone. But uh, basically, they, they, they dwell uh, or they live in the deep dark forests of the old old world, and they're surprisingly close to empire cities and towns. Uh, they worship spiders. Uh, they're inf- they're infamous for their lightning raids, uh, terrifying appearance. They got the totems in the woods. If you see spider webs, definitely go the other way. Um, they you know they're the more tribal. They got feathers, bits of bones. They got the war paint. They ride sp- spiders. Uh, pretty terrifying stuff. Yeah, one thing I think that you're going to see kind of a, a theme here is that 
these goblins are, are based on setting. And I think it's important just to know that they exist and that, um, cause your standard goblin, you know, the one we've already described, right. The, you know, they'll poke you with a spear or a store, uh, you know, a sword or whatever. Now, take these goblins and put them in different environments, right? So put them in the mountains and they're night goblins, put them in the woods and they're forest goblins, put them, put them in the desert and they're fire goblins, right? Like, and they have slightly different, uh, uh, like even anatomies and, and religious beliefs and, and, uh, but they're at their core, they're still a goblin. And I think it's, it's super, super interesting. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see, you know, some of these come into uh Wolfrup at some point, no, no, I, I, we, uh, we, have, we have plenty of plans to uh, add in some more green skins, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so so I think, uh, and so I kind of took over there, Steve. Uh, fire Goblins was one. Yeah, we have Fire Kobolds. Uh, obviously, they're near the mountains, the volcanoes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where they live. Uh, the Trabalogobs are interesting. They are, they are basically... They tend to live more. They're like they're like sea goblins, I, I, right? Yeah, yeah. They're basically sea goblins. They got webbed hands, webbed yeah. feet. Excellent swimmers. You know, you could be in the empire and fishing, and all of a sudden you catch one of these. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and just reading up on the lore, it's like they both have lungs and gills, uh, so they can breathe comfortably above and below the water. However, if they venture too far inland, uh, they could, uh, you know. If they don't refresh themselves after a few days, they may dry up and die. So it's just interesting. But these ones are interesting because they're like kind of more global. They've been off the coast of Lustria, Nagaroth, um, Albion. Um, I I read a little portion where uh, in Albion, it's called like Trogland. Oh, sure, yeah, that there's makes like sense. a certain area where it's like they're known to be at. So I I never made that connection before right now, but yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, just moving on, you got the frost goblins. Now these ones I couldn't find too much information uh, on. Um, be, besides that, just kind of lower um, in Nagaroth, you know, escaped goblin slaves have gone. You know, pretty much natives, and they're called frost goblins. They kind of have the same turquoise skinned. Um, like the troglobs, but you know, just you know, from the cold, right? And then, and of course, the Nabalars, which are kind of the newer ones, uh, due to the Auric books. Um, they're pretty much the ogres, uh, I guess, like a subspecies of the mountain and hill dwelling goblins. Um, but they're pretty much uh, they're the slave force of the ogre race, <laughs> acting as yeah. servants, cannon fodder, ammunition. Sometimes food, uh, but yeah, yeah, not I mean, not. It's the best an interesting. Life. It's an interesting list because obviously the night goblins, forest goblins, and the noblars are very well established and sort of got their own miniature ranges and um, books yep. about them. Whereas I think the fire kobolds, troglobs, and frost goblins, it was um, more sort of modeling and painting thing in White Dwarf. Right. I don't know if you remember yep. the article, uh-huh. but um, so they certainly had. Um, Obviously, if it comes in a uh, product with Copyright Games Workshop on it, it is canon. Um, they're very different in terms of the degree to which they're integrated into the Warhammer world. Right. Well, that and that's Absolutely. one of the beautiful parts, Dave. Like, mm. you you could take that and run with it because there's nothing there. Yeah, so. yeah, well. Um, well, we certainly have... Uh, 
produced now, um, as I was saying earlier about the Mad Craw tribe, our, um, our first deep look at a Night Goblin tribe, and the Cluster Eye are our first deep look at a Forest Goblin tribe. Yeah. Well, one of the things so, I, I love, the, the Mad Craw, just the artwork ties that together so well. Like, the blue glow on everything. Yeah. Um, it's uh he's, um he's a really he's um yugen is the name of that artist he's a um japanese italian artist and he has been um working for us for about a year now um because he first got involved around oh there was a um pdf adventure um yeah it was it was exactly a year because it was last year's halloween adventure the um headless horseman one what was it called um L comes to halt, is it? Rides to halt. Yeah, halt. Yeah, rides halt. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so Yugen did the character portraits for that adventure. But he's really good at the sort of more um, mad looking creatures. <laughs> so um, he did all the um, forest goblins for the Cluster Eye tribe and all the night goblins for the Mad Crawl. Awesome. Yeah. And those four, the, the, so one thing that, um, fourth edition has had with, with in spades is, is great artwork. And, um, yeah, so I'm curious, and I don't know if you can tell us much. I know, uh, we have the companion coming out soon, but we're supposed to get more on the Mad Craw tribe. Will they have uh, a similar, uh, depth as we got for, you know, the, the forest grab goblins with the cluster eye tribe. Yeah, exactly. It will be exactly the same format. So you will Ooh. get um, a, uh, a sort of in world discussion about how the scholars of Altdorf see them. And ah, cool. um, then a far more um, in depth breakdown into why their culture is like it is. They've been stuck in this Valley. They're sort of haunted by these visions and, um, uh, to say more would be to risk giving away some of the stuff in Empire and Ruins, so I'll be careful. But um, yeah, they're an unusual night goblins in that they're more like high up and they're um, a bit more um, divorced from the sort of the squigs and the fungus that other night goblins are. And what fungus they can get is um, tainted with these very uh, chaotic magics. So uh, that's led to them becoming quite a strange goblin society. Man, I can't wait. It, yeah, it no, might so be the number one thing. thing I'm looking forward to in that companion. I'm not going to lie. Well, certainly the format of the Cluster Eye is something we want to revisit um, because we'd like to do sort of a different tribe for all, all the different tribal societies. So ogres, Fimir, um, the different sorts of goblin. Oh, Fimir. Yeah. So yeah. we do sort of, uh, again, it's not something that we can do um, right now, but... Uh, if we get the chance, it's something we'd like to revisit in the future. Awesome. Well, great. And and you got a list of different kind of goblins you could work off. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> but uh, no, I would say, so yeah, I love that. And, and plus, even as a GM, one of the things I like about the Cluster I Try PDF is it kind of gives you a way to build out like different enemies. It's a, it's a little toolboxes, but in a simple way that I really like. Yeah. So um, it's it's great. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was the intention with it, was to give those um, templates that you could just shove onto the creatures to create a shaman and a scout and so on and so on. Right. But also to give specific examples to say, hey, even though that is a fairly simple mechanical idea, 
you can still get quite complicated characters and quite complicated relationships from it. Awesome. Yeah, and, and I love it. So great, man. Well, I mean, I'm even more excited about the wins. How long till Wednesday? Maybe we'll get it this Wednesday. We'll see. But good stuff. So um, so when we were talking about Nobblers, I wanted to switch back around to that real quick, just because I, I, we got to get to Skaven and, and talk about the big piece of this too. But um, one thing I wanted to mark is inclusion in Orc Society is kind of similar to Nobblers' inclusion in uh, Ogre Society, right? So when the Orcs are around, they're the ones in charge, right? The bigger, the badder, the meaner, the more powerful you are, it means the higher up in the pecking order you are. So, yeah, goblins will be around orc tribes and stuff um, because, you know, the orcs have have a much better time or easier time getting to loot and food. And, you know, and, of course, the argument is is all greenskins live for war. Um, So in a similar way where they're stepped on or even, like, don't get too close to an angry orc. You might just become dinner, right? That's that's definitely the same way that nobblers work in the society for ogres, right? Don't get too close to an angry ogre. You might become dinner. And I I think that's really interesting. um, I think the nobblers are rather more dependent on the ogres for their survival. And uh, they're sort of in a bit more of an abject state than um, goblins in general. I think goblins are a bit more (sighs) sneaky and cunning and uh, independent than nobblers. Um, as as generally, um, yeah. No, I would I would agree. I, I always got I the sense too. that nobblers are kind of the or subservient. Subser- um, yeah, where yeah. where the where the goblins in in an orc tribe are. Yeah, we'll do what you say, but I'm planning to sneak in with ten of my buddies and kill you tonight. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. where the nobblers are like, I'm just going to go hide in a hole until you call for me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Though, though a cool storyline if we were to ever go like go to the mountains of Morn and have like a nobbler uprising in effect, that could be a fun campaign. Oh, yeah. It lasts. <laughs> would you? Would last you be playing the nobbler? <laughs> what was that, Dave? Would you be playing the nobblers though? Oh, so I think that would be the the problem, right? Like the players would be caught in the middle somehow. Uh. That like where they don't want to support either side, <laughs> or what would be even funnier is the nobblers are in the middle of a revolution, and the ogres haven't noticed yet. They just it's not that big of a concern for them. <laughs> yeah, I have to become a very loud revolution before the ogres notice. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and hey, uh, greenskins. Uh, well, uh, location wise, uh, they are everywhere. Yeah. Um, literally everywhere, uh, land, water, near volcanoes, uh, marshes, forest, badlands. Um, because I guess, um, the overall lore, right. Is that they came from the East and then with the volcanic eruptions, they started moving to the West and that's where they kind of had the goblin wars, um, where they started taking over dwarf strongholds on the world's edge mountains <laughs> So from my perspective, they had their own little kind of tribal glory land where lots of fightings, assassinations, the strongest one. And then when that cataclysmic event occurred, then they started spreading out, causing chaos across the world. Or not maybe across the world, but, you know, mm-hmm. toward the World's Edge Mountains, going uh, west toward the Empire. 
that at that point. Yeah, you know those maps where like you get on Wikipedia and you find out like uh you know this particular bird species or whatever and it gives you like certain red areas where its its habitat is and then it's like darker mm-hmm. red where it like is uh you know where it might be more concentrated and stuff. So the the way I look at this is like green skins the whole world is red, but the badlands is a super dark red. They're they're more concentrated there, but they're everywhere. Yeah, so. I think that's an interesting one, and uh, also the idea that certain of them are quite um, geographically restricted. So noblars, for example, are only sort of found in the mountains of Morn and around there, as far as we know. And um, hobgoblins are also kind of stuck in the um, steppes yeah. to the um, oh, northeast we... of Kislev. We didn't write down hobgoblins yeah. on our list. Um, oh my goodness, we, lo- we missed that. Oh yeah. Well, are they goblins or are they not? <laughs> well, yeah. See, that's that's the argument, right? And then we we can't say chaos dwarfs. We'll get the whole thing canceled. But it's like uh, I was doing some research on hobgoblins, and their like uh, their leader's name, like for the was Khan or something. Yeah, man, yeah. it's a fascinating tidbit of lore that i'd forgotten about now well, i'm again, a... definitely during the sort of late um 80s when um they were appearing in army lists and so on they were right. so-called be the uh, the hobgoblin armies were sort of lesser khans who had fallen out with a great khan and had taken up um mercenary existence in order to get out of his uh his reach dave you have an impressive grasp of warhammer lore <laughs> that's uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> it pushes all all useful information out of my head. Yeah, so, yeah. I can't cook and I can't look after my computer, but I can tell you what happened to hobgoblins in '87. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so we talked about goblins um, at length. Let's dive into Skaven so that we can then get to the meat of what we really want to talk about. The uh, Skaven, I labeled this the stab stab evil, right? So. Um, Essentially, Skaven are ratmen, right? Giant ratmen. Though Games Workshop, so if we if we were to compare like the goblins, right, and how they're they're pretty much similar to most goblins in fantasy, except a little bit Warhammerized. Um, Skaven went one, two, three, four, five steps past that. They're the typical ratmen, except you give them the horned rat god, which. Um, if if you talk to uh, Graham Davis, he can give you a whole history how that came came about in an unusual way, and then turn around and give them a bunch of chaos infused warp stone and build their whole society around it, and that's where you get Skaven. So just from a high level, they're physically giant rats, and their size can be dependent on their class, and even their fur color can determine their class as well. Um, you know, whether they end up being like a, a, a clan rat or like a gutter runner, um, you know, which are more of their kind of warrior class and they tend to be bigger and, and different. Here's yeah, a... I think that with the um, gray seers, there's definitely the link between white fur and being a magical skaven. So um, with a fur color, I think it's just tendencies. So the darker fur color tend to be bigger and more aggressive. It's not a, um, a neat spit. Right, right. Yeah, so, and they tend to be, right, so, the, and we kind of talked about it, right, the, there is a mix of caste and clan system, right? So there are different clans, 
uh, within the the entire society of of the the Skaven, and then maybe maybe I should just real quick go over from a general sense the Skaven initiated. There's a super interesting story which I we won't go into here about how like this uh, city in Talea ended up being like the the home birthplace of the Skaven and and a whole awesome like lore story and even a, like a poem around it. Um, it's a super interesting, uh, but the Skaven that they ended up being Skaven blight and then Skaven spread around the world. They are a mix of a cast and clan system, as I said. And so let's just talk about clans. There is, they're ruled by the council of 13, which is the 13 most powerful clans. And you have of those clans, the four, four major clans, which is clan Mulder, which, uh, think, we we do f- experiments in breeding programs and come up with abominations, uh, a mixture of flesh and and magic and warp stone to bring giant rat ogres and and uh, literally something called abominations, which just look like it's like Frankenstein and a rat and a giant uh, it's worm. worm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I've never had to fight one of those on the tabletop game. I I imagine when we finally get the new release of the tabletop game, I'll eventually fight one. So, assuming I don't start a Skaven army. Skyri, Skyri is about taking uh the engineering of they they they're pretty smart. They make up these contraptions and engineering contraptions, um but they're all powered by warp stones. So, think of like shoddy engineering works that somehow work but when they explode they go boom in a big way i think it's pronounced skryra sky skryra skryra wow i've been saying that wrong forever you've been saying it wrong since 1991 (laughs) yeah so so dave you'll be interested probably i don't know if you knew about this but we when we started our podcast we never called woofrup woofrup we always right. called it WFRP. I don't know if you've heard of that debate. Um, That's okay. I'm very much on the Woofrup side, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. No, well, and so we it, it was when we had people start to call us out in, in different forums and places like, why do you guys say WFRP? That's so weird. And it never occurred to us that it would be anything else. Like just in our region, that's what people call it. And we went and did some research and um, there was someone that was able to point us to a white dwarf article that that actually says, specifies work for it. Yep, it does. Yeah, it does. So I think, I think Graham wrote that. Did he? I didn't know that. Um, Yeah. So no, we, uh, we actually had polls and stuff and we were surprised there were uh, more more people say Woofrup, but there's a large percentage that don't, and um, it was very interesting. Well, I, I was uh, joking when I said I was on the side. You know, I'm quite easygoing either way. I think um, <laughs> I'm probably I call it Woofrup myself, but you know, if you want to call it WFRP, that's that's absolutely fine. Yeah, when we, I mean, honestly, on the show, we've become used to it, and we call it Woofrup now. Um, but now, now we have a we have a joke on the show where uh, you know the the acronym for friendly local gaming store like FLGS, right? Now we call it Fligus. So okay. go go to your <laughs> Fligus, right? <laughs> Hopefully, in the future, it'll be a name of a disease as well in the Wolfer world, <laughs> right? Oh, Fligus! I've got a bad case of Fligus. Oh man. <laughs> 
So, all right. We're Speaking of diseases, I think we were down to pestilence. Yes, we were down to pestilence. Right, neatly ties us back. Yep, that neatly ties us back. Pestilence is a disease, right? So they, um, this, uh, this clan, like, essentially went away to Lustria for a while, came back with all sorts of great diseases and and uh, they're resistant to disease, and they develop concoctions to poison people and cause diseases and plagues. Very, uh, very cool kind of take on it. And then you have Eshin, which went like in the opposite direction towards the east for a while and then came back with all these assassin skills. And so think of like Skaven ninjas is how I look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, uh, and they, they use poison and kill people and sneak in. And um, and there's all sorts of uh, the Skaven, uh, the clan Eshin assassins are like highly sought after um, in the Skaven society to take care of your enemies. Those are the four main clans. There's the four great clans. The great clans, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And um, you were right about the Council of Thirteen, but got a couple of details wrong. So there oh. are um, only, let's see, it's only only ten of the Skaven on the Council of Thirteen are affiliated with a clan. Oh, okay. There's, um, there's one of them is called um, Pascrit the Vast, and he is only known as the Warlord General of all Skavendom. So he seems to have um, a sort of authority over Skaven War Machine in general. Okay. And then there's uh, Grey, the Seer Lord Critislick. So he's a Grey Seer. And um, sometimes they're spoken of as a clan, but sometimes they aren't. They're more of a sort of um, religious magical caste that are above the clans. Right. Yep. The Grey Seers kind of lead everyone. And then the 13th place is the Horned Rat himself. Yes. No, that's that's very true. I I, I see. I I makes you wonder. Has uh, when's the last time like the horned rat? They they call him for roll call, and he says here. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, well, uh, you know, if that is to be taken as a genuine intervention, it happened around the same time as um, Magnus the Pious. So, sort of uh, two or three hundred years before the present day. Dave, you know your history, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. So, nice. yeah. So, uh, the the Council of Thirteen rules rules the uh, Skaven Society. Though Skaven Society is very right. They're they're often in civil wars and turmoil. Um, watch your back. Every Skaven. I sometimes think of it similar to to like Klingons, except with less honor, right? Like you, you assassinate your leader. <laughs> That's how you move up the ranks. And of course it's, it's all a, a, a caste system hierarchy too. Um, and so where one, there's one piece I remember reading saying where you don't want to have your nose higher than the nose of someone that's like above you in the, uh, in the system. And so you can come into these meeting rooms and everybody looks like they're bobbing their heads because, you know, they're constantly trying to assert their authority over lessers and yeah. show their respect. But not, for... not appear too uppity um, in front of the... Uh, yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Have any real power over them, yep. And uh, you mentioned Grey Seers. Grey Seers are the ones that use magic, um, right? And uh, and sometimes they will actually, they'll have uh, horns, and like literal like horns. Uh, so like a rat with horns and... Uh, uh, but they can use all sorts of scaveny magic, which is is uh, cool. Which we actually get some of that in the uh, 
in in the Horned Rat Companion, which is uh, really cool. They're the only ones that are allowed to use magic as far as the uh, commandments of the Horned Rat go. But then they're also the ones that interpret the commands of the Horned Rat. It might have some self-interest there. <laughs> they're they're the the religious the religious cast leaders uh, who interpret the will of their god. Yeah. So and then of course all of this there's this relationship with Warpstone and uh, Dave, do you want to take us into? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the relationship with Warpstone. Well, we know that Warpstone is um, the sort of concentrated pure magic, and um, that the. Uh, it sort of goes back to the mythical creation of the Warhammer world in that it was um, made sort of stable and livable by the old ones when they visited and they used these warp gates on either side of the planet to help with that. But something went wrong and obviously chaos entered the world through the shattered warp gates and um, part of these warp gates uh, blew up or malfunctioned and that's how magic gets into the world and it can sort of coalesce into the substance called warpstone which is for most creatures very very dangerous to touch and um, they will uh, mutate and die if they get exposed to it too much but uh, Skaver an exception in that they actively benefit from exposure to warpstone and uh, it helps power all their technologies and all their magic and um, if they ingest it carefully it can increase their lifespan and um, give them sort of uh, controlled mutations. So the scientific clans that we were speaking about before, Mulder, use um, Warpstone to create their gigantic beasts, and Scryer use Warpstone in order to power their technological innovations. Pestilence use Warpstone in order to help um, make their virulent diseases even more nasty, and Eshin use it in uh, their poisons and their uh, weapons of uh, assassination. Well said. That basically covers it. But uh, that's uh, so one of and it's one of the uh, it's so ingrained in their society. Right. Um, They can they will use it for trade and currency. They'll um, like you said, they'll eat it to make their spells more powerful as a gray seer. And uh, they they use it in in everything. So it's incredibly valuable to uh, Skaven society as well. So um, you'll often read like that battles where Skaven get involved is because, oh, uh, a meteorite of Warpstone fell. That's you can um, you can bet the Skaven are coming. So, yeah. Um, one thing I want to mention about Skaven, I think is really interesting is their existence is denied by most official imperial uh, you know, people in charge, the the nobles and in and, and the folks in charge, they deny in there's a lot of like what is the reason why right you're so every every uh old worlder that you know farmer that's out there carries a bow with them in case of like a goblins attacking or orcs or giant wolves or all these crazy beastmen right there's so many things like why deny the existence of giant rats and you know giant ratmen that are and um so the, you could get really deep into it but there's a lot of potential you know, uh, you know that the Skaven are pay- essentially paying off the ruling parties uh, in the Empire to make them deny their existence and look the other way. Um, you know, is there a deeper, more evil or sinister plan going on that's that's making this happen? Um, and the fact that the Empire 
as a whole fought a giant war against the Skaven, what, a couple hundred years ago in our timeline? Oh, it's closer to a thousand. A thousand, okay. Yeah. So, but still, so the fact that that history. happened and they're still now denying their existence, it makes you wonder. It's an interesting piece of lore. I always viewed it as, you know, it's like the government with unidentified flying objects. You, you know, um, it's, it's just like you don't want to acknowledge something that you have no control over and that at any time, if you're not in regard to that technology, you, you don't even have that technology. It's, it's so scary. You have no control over it. And I think it's the same as, as uh, the, the Skaven, like, uh, you, you may know about them, but, you know, where are they digging? Where are their tunnels? They're everywhere. They're listening. They're like, you really, you can't control where they are. You can't even control them. Um, in fact, if they gang together, the Empire might be in ruin. you know? So it's like, super scary to even just don't want your population to know about it because it's, it's that deep and scary. But that's yeah. the way I kind of view it, you know, just like, please don't mention them. <laughs> <laughs> like we 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 can't control them. We don't know where they're at. If we see them, you know. Uh, I think that you're both right, and that the uh, denial of the uh, Skaven by members of the Empire is partly to do with uh, the Skaven's various cover-up objectives, and partly to do with um, some of the institutions in the Empire having a self-interest in controlling um, knowledge about them. Absolutely. So, uh, if you want to know more, we um, thought about this very question a lot for the Horned Rat, obviously, and um, it goes quite into depth into what Middenheim's sort of culture of denial about Skaven is like. Yes, yes. Um, and that's, uh, that's actually in the adventure book, if I remember yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. it's part of the um, struggle that the yep. characters have in that game. So, I mean, we talked about, and, and we could talk Skaven and Goblins forever for more hours. There's way more uh, history and, and breakdown that we could go into. But what we're here to really talk about, and I think this is where we need to, to move on to the next piece here, is how to effectively use Goblins and Skaven in your games, how to make them as intriguing, as awesome, as having chaos. How do you make that work? What What are some ways... You can include them in your game, and how do you make them, you know, as fun and as interesting as any other chaos cultist, you know, storyline or, or whatnot. So, you know, and Dave, uh, you actually suggested this topic when we were uh, talking here, so I'll let you kick us off. What, what are some of your initial thoughts? Well, I think um, part of the reason I wanted to talk about Goblins and Skaven was because they are sort of my twin uh, loves in Warhammer. Um, goblins were sort of the thing that initially attracted me back in uh, the late 80s, because um, just when you used to get little blister packs of five miniatures, mm -hmm. sort of, um, collect, uh, collect all the different ones was uh, a big part of the appeal at that time, because they were quite hard to hunt down. Yeah, and um, I just really, really, I was uh, sort of thought goblins were, uh, you know, charmingly grotesque, and I just really liked the way they looked. And I think um, the whole idea of having a sort of army of these um, mad, spiteful, uh, little, not quite demons, but not quite, not demons, if you know what I mean. Yeah, sort uh -huh. of the, in between that. Um, 
actual force and uh, like elemental force of evil um, was quite appealing, and the fact they were quite sort of uh, childish and um, unrestrained with it as well was kind of part of the appeal. And then later, I came to appreciate the Skaven more um, because I think of the uh, depth of the culture that they've been given over the years um, with the clan mm. system and with their own. Aside from the Empire itself, I think they're the faction that Games Workshop have devoted the most time and explanation to in terms of their society and how they work. So uh, just the depth that that faction have for how um, they exist and what their history is and what their religion is and what where their settlements are and so on. It's a lot to dive into. That's actually, that's fascinating. You mentioned that. I never thought about that. And um, yeah, it is. It is very, I, I'm sitting there running through all the different races and armies in my head like, nope, 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 nope. They don't have nearly as much as a Skaven does. Yeah, even even in second edition, we got an entire source book dedicated to Skaven, um, yeah. which no no other race really got that, um, you know, outside of just specific Imperial things. So, Yeah, I think there is. There's Empire and then there's Chaos, but even Chaos doesn't really explain the culture of Chaos followers to the same degree as right. Skaven. It's more about the, yeah, true. the gods. And... Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, so in in with all of all of this, I think I mean, obviously the most common way that you would think, all right, I, well, I need, I just need some some something to attack my players, right? So let me grab some goblins. Let me grab some skaven. This will be fun, right? And you just kind of throw them at your players. But I think there's can be so much more. And and honestly, a lot of this advice I'm going to say here can go for any bad guy, right? You just like, oh, I'm going to throw some orcs at my players. I'm going to throw some skeletons at your players, right? So why? Um, you know, is it, are your players, I mean, if you're just looking for a dungeon crawl and you just want to, you know, get to the next room and what is the challenge here, then sure. But having an understanding of like what's going on, why are you being attacked, you know, by those goblins? What is their motivation? <laughs> I mean, and it sounds silly, like, oh, what's your motivation? But mm -hmm. having an understanding of that can really help you inform a story um, as to why, like, they're not attacking you willy-nilly. Um, you have a piece of warp stone that you didn't even know you had, right? And that's why the Skaven are all of a sudden uh, trying to attack you or trying to steal your carriage or whatever it might be. I definitely agree. You know, besides, you know, the politics that the Skaven play with, you know, in the Empire, you know, assassinating this person and that per person and sneaking around, definitely Warpstone uh, would definitely lure them <laughs> into a thing. And, and and I could always think of like where we're like a, we're like a group has been assigned to either guard this Warpstone and, you know, whatever safety container box it's in. And they got to travel with it, but yet they do have like, maybe like a gray seer with a small bodyguard. Maybe 50 clan rats are after you to get it. Just the adventure, the steps, you know, that you have to go to to try to survive. And maybe it's not one big fight. Maybe it's little fights here and there, but like you're just being chased. But you know, I could easily see it's where you, it's like, you know, the last, you know, the last fights, you know, against the gray seer and his bodyguard and, you know, all out. Whew. Who's going to survive? But in the middle time, in the small battles, you are fighting the clan rats while the Grey Seer is trying to locate you. And just, yeah, you could really make, you know, the Grey Seer a big bad guy. You know, mm. horns, 
got the magic. Um, so, you know, it, then his bodyguards are always the elites. You know, there doesn't have to be a ton of them, but, you know, 10 of them are, are pretty uh, brutal if you got to face them. But, yeah, I, I would kind of run something along that line. That's just the first thing that comes in my mind, you know, for like, yeah, you know, regarding Warp Stone and, and the Skaven, since they crave it so much, you know, it's just, you know, something that a, that a small group of role players can handle as opposed to, you know, the waves. Yeah, I think with the Skaven, because they've got sort of more um, grand designs of their own, they're all mm-hmm. sort of, they want to uh, rule the world, but then each individual Skaven faction wants to sort of rule the world in its own, you know, they've all got their own ideas for how best to rule the world, and uh, they would all prefer to rule the world on their own terms rather than the terms of their competing clans or even their rivals within the same clan. I think that's uh, something that you can really helps with uh, adventure fodder using Skaven because as soon as the party become aware of Skaven and within the Empire, as we've talked about, there is this culture of denial. That's almost like a ready-made campaign anyway because you could say, well, why is everyone being so complacent? And obviously, amongst those who are going to sort of oppose you spreading that message are going to be the Skaven themselves. I think something that we um, wanted to show in the Horndrack Companion was that um, even though in the Horndrack there is this particular Skaven plot that's going to end up with them if they succeed getting a load of Warpstone, um, it certainly isn't a plot that other Skaven factions want to see succeed. And uh, they're all quite willing to sort of double-cross or triple-cross or secretly double cross or just single cross um, <laughs> yeah. so if i double cross you you triple cross me yeah. <laughs> well, what's how's uh, that math work I, mean, out? I, 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 I don't want to give anything too specific away but we've certainly got this um situation where for example the chief of the engineers he um wanted one of his favorite engineers to win a certain contract so he suggested to the Council of Thirteen, oh, um, he sort of thought, oh, if I go and ask them to give the contract, they'll, like, say no because they're all bitter and they don't want me to, like, succeed or anything. So he sort of thought, I know, I'll take this other engineer's idea and I'll put it before the Council and then when they um, say no to that, I'll be like, oh, well, if you say no to that, then what about this? And then they'll say no to that. And then they won't have any sort of oomph left to say no to my actual preferred plan. Mm. So he went to the council. Well, he uh, snuck into the council meeting um, and uh, sort of put his first idea on the table. But what he hadn't realised was some spies had already clued in his um, the seer lord to his plan. So the seer lord was very enthusiastic about the first plan he put down. And then he had to <laughs> oppose his own plan. So, um, <laughs> so uh, but it ended up with, though, you know, it was the plan he didn't want to, it was the plan he wanted to sacrifice that uh, ended up being ratified. And that's behind the plot of the horned rat. Yeah, so it's um, then. And then, so some of the people who actually oppose what's going on in the horned rat the most are members of the, um, the Warlock Engineer's own clan. Because they were like, well, we were promised this commission, <laughs> you know. Uh, 
And I and I think that's a perfect example of how so Skaven really opens the doors. I think when you use the word intrigue, for example, right? So you as the players need to stop this insane, crazy thing from happening that the Skaven are doing. And right, your unlikely ally is other Skaven, right? Very likely to be other Skaven, yeah. Right. So. Like imagine, imagine putting your players in a situation where they they need they have to choose between the lesser of two evils. Do I work with this Skaven who I know has their own agenda, and this is not going to probably work out for me? But if I don't work with them, then I'm probably not going to be able to solve this other problem, which will have dire consequences. So, like no matter what, so you put the players in a situation where. They, they might work with a Skaven, and then most, my players anyway, are going to be spending, you know, that gets two sessions figuring out how they can betray the Skaven that's trying to betray them while they're betraying the other Skaven. <laughs> you, you see, and like, uh, all, all, that intrigue just builds itself. Yeah, and I suppose with both Goblins and Skaven, part of that dynamic that they have is almost like, well, if you could offer the Lieutenant the chance to um, become the Chief, for example, you could easily build an ally in the enemy camp with them just because oh, yeah. of their nature is so sort of climbing over one another to yeah. get to the top. I was just kind of thinking that too, like where you get like a goblin outcast that got thrown out by the warlord, just wandering the woods, you know, uh-huh. and he gets captured and he's like, hey, got a plan. <laughs> if, you, if you choose to hear him out, you know, you could be, I wouldn't say friends, but uh, you could definitely uh, work a plan. Um, toward a goal, um, and and I I just read um, a novel uh, in the Warhammer archives, uh, uh, Witch Hunter, oh, and uh, yeah. just the play that they go through with Skaven and Chaos, and it's all about and 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 a vampire, but it's all about this one grimoire book that everyone is after, and and like the heroes in the book are there. But it's like they're they're not really so much on the radar of any of the enemies. They just happen to be there while everyone's coalescing and kind of converging on this book. So it's kind of interesting how things play out. In the end, everyone's fighting, and it's like you're just trying to survive. But really, the Skaven don't care about you. <laughs> like they're after a certain goal, and as soon as they get that goal, they're going to be gone. Oh, so they really they really have no care about you. It's just you know their goal. In as well, like you might not even be the goal, you mm, might just be yeah. caught in the middle of something that you have no idea about. Yeah, I think that's one way to help um, distinguish Skaven from goblins. Actually, is that they're not so sentimental. Yep, and they're a bit more sort of, um, you know, coldly ruthless. Maybe. Yeah, and I think, and you can. There's a lot of different themes you can do. So, Steve, you talk about using a MacGuffin, right? So, any sort of object or item in, if if you're not familiar with the concept of MacGuffin, right? Any any object or item that's driving the story, right? That's the thing that people care about, right? So, we talked earlier, like you could have a piece of warpstone that you don't even know that you have, right? Or maybe you've been hired to deliver something, or like this this uh, grimoire that everybody wanted to get their hands on, right? That's what's driving the story. You know, the the character, the, play, the main players in the story don't necessarily care about you; they care about the thing. But for even for goblins, right? While that might not be as as obvious, but like, uh, you know, a goblin's access to 
a, a cave of special mushrooms or, you know, a, a goblin shaman who relies on these mushrooms for his power that he maintains control over the tribe, you can use those different sort of things to make interesting, you know, adventures out of. Another idea I like, too, is, is, is right, we talk about all the political intrigue, right, where... I mean, how many Warhammer stories that end up with political intrigue, you know, where somebody is corrupted by chaos, right? They don't have to be corrupted by chaos. How about the fact that they got to power by using Skaven, right? Because Skaven offered them a deal to eliminate an opponent or something. And it could be a good guy, the good guy that you really want to rule the city or rule the town, right? Or make the decisions that you that go inside with what you want. I mean, they're using a means to an end. Now, your players might think that that's horrible and terrible and want to end that, but what's the alternative? The rival that instead comes to power, you know, is is incredibly cruel and, you know, nobody wants that. Like, that's, I mean, that's the beauty of Warhammer, right? Like, what good deed ever goes unpunished in Warhammer? Uh-huh. Yeah. That would be a very good, uh, you know, Skaven nurturing, gen- genuinely worthy candidates for high office, for example. Yes. Because they've got something on them that they can use when their guy comes to power. That would be um, a nice little moral dilemma, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, any other? What other thoughts you guys got? Any other ideas on how we can, like you know, incorporate goblins or, or Skaven into our game? Well, I think um, in the team we've been thinking about, uh, obviously, these two goblin tribes that we have really more uh, explored in depth in order to have the mackerel goblins in Empire in Ruins and the Clusteroid tribe. So uh, those are two very different goblin organisations. So the Clusteroid tribe, for example, is actually a sort of little patrol and they're going around the north of their borders in order to make sure, well, for two reasons, to make sure that no elves are coming down from the Laurelorn in order to um, make trouble for them, and um, to acquire as many captives as they can to give to the local night goblins in trade for iron weapons. So I'm quite interested in how people might use the cluster iron in their games, because I think that'd be a good little encounter if they're actually yeah. carrying... Uh, the local villagers all bound up in spider silk on their backs and they're heading off in order to sell them. Right. What if, what if they captured some mutants or that were in the forest, right? Mm. Do you save the mutants? Do you get yourself in, or, you know, what if, what if you could include like there's conflict between them and beastmen, right? Or, um, you know, or potentially, potentially even uh i mean goblins they always talk about being cruel and stuff right so what if they've captured so like if you can put them in a situation where they're you know torturing someone but maybe the person they're torturing is a beastman (laughs) like Mm -hmm. do you care enough to get involved you know Uh, so you could create some moral some decision points as well um i like i like the idea though of of uh with spider cavalry right like you take a look at what some of those things uh how quickly they move and what they can do in the the interesting battles your players can get in um even if it's a, a literally and, and something that i think really cool is the hit and run concept right where as a gm 
you know, they think the players are an easy target. There's only four of them, right? And, but, you know, they're not, they didn't realize at this point, maybe they're hardened warriors. I mean, you know, is that ever true in Warhammer? But, you know, then they take the hit and then, and retreat. Now, what do the players do with that? Some players I know are going to like, I want to hunt them down, you know? And yeah. Maybe so if it's more like a sort of just a fleeting encounter. Right, right. Maybe uh, the players are more grudgeful than the bad guys in this situation. <laughs> what um, if you what if you hunt them down to the Night Goblin tribe? That's where that you end up, right? And then that could hold, be a whole nother oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. goblin adventure there too. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's where you're probably going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think the other thing that we were sort of... Um, trying to look into, especially with the mad crawl, was sort of um, what is the more uh, shamanic aspect of Night Goblin, of Goblin Society and Night Goblin Society in particular, that you actually do have um, goblins who might be capable of perceiving events that are going to happen in the future. Um, what would they want to do with that power and how would that... Mm. You know, if you had the mind yeah. of um, a spiteful child... <laughs> basically uh how how would you deal with being able to see the future right and what if what if you what if your players get the knowledge that this potential that future right exists right could could capturing Mm -hmm. this shaman be a, a big thing for them and but to your point right the spiteful child like you know, how useful is the information that you're going to get from this captured? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's totally unreliable or right. even deliberately misleading. Or, Which... or, or you could put your group in a situation where, due to the shaman's foresight, your group actually does get captured and taken, but maybe just the shaman in the group, the tribe that took you, isn't that big. Mm. Just got you by surprise at nighttime, and you got to break your way out. I'm not dealing with too many folks, but you're just like uh, stuck in like a skirmishers group, you know, and got to fight your way out somehow. Uh, that'd be interesting. Take start off as a hostage. Uh huh. Got to get away. As you were saying earlier, um, Steve, I think the way to get away would be uh, wait until the sun rises. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Or, I mean, you could, and I mean, I know that we don't think of the goblins as, as one that is as much in, like, into the political intrigue stuff, right? But, I don't know, uh, a shaman goblin that is foreseeing a potential of their death due to, a, an, you know, an orc tribe moving through the area or something, you know, they might need allies where their tribe can't handle it, you know? So it, it could be possible that the goblins are trying to capture you, not to kill you or eat you, but to send you at their enemies. <laughs> yeah, I think that is something that's um, like a way to make them more than just uh, like something I've been thinking for very low level, like even snotlings and so on. Mm-hmm. The, instead of just using them as a cannon fodder type enemy, would be that they are very canny about their very local environment and they know where the angry beast lives, for example. So if you chase them, they can run past the boar's little hideaway or through the quicksand and they know where to step and that sort of thing. So when it comes to sort of direct um, 
encounters between a group of adventurers and a small group of goblins. I think that's a way to make it sort of more intriguing is to have them be quite tricksy about how they fight. Yeah, I like that idea where where uh, you 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 know instead of ambushing or or use an ambushing, but they're really not trying to kill you. They're just trying to make you run or go in a direction that they want. Where mm. you meet uh, maybe another a tribe in the Drakenwald Forest that they want eliminated. Yes. Or at least, oh, that's uh, a good one. Yeah. yeah. And they might pounce on you afterwards, or you know. Yeah. I can or see even that. Just disappear now. Right. <laughs> they're yeah. as soon as they've set you on their arrivals. The I could yeah. see that where you yeah. have the spider riders with their arrows, right? All of a sudden, like you could easily make it where your players end up lost in the woods, and every now and then a spider rider comes out of the out of the trees, shoots a couple arrows at you, and then disappears, right? And they're like you said, they're trying to herd. Like, and then do the players pick up on that? Like you know, do the player are the players chasing the spider? Are they going away from the opposite? Depending on what they do, might change the tactics of what the the goblins are doing. And it's almost like a game of cat and mouse, where uh-huh. instead of cheese, it's a battle at the end. And you could <laughs> you could even tie in the shaman for 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 uh, foretold his death by the rival tribe. So they're like, hey. You got these right. guys. <laughs> Let's guide them to this other tribe and see what they do first. Yeah, I suppose that's something as well. That if um, I mean, because adventuring parties tend to be um, made up of exceptional individuals, and you end up with uh, lots of, especially if you're playing a wizard or a priest, these very special abilities. By the time you're quite experienced, um, then if you were thinking about this sort of shamanic thing, maybe he's got a task that can only be achieved through the use of a particular spell or something, and this whole, he's trying to manipulate your characters in order to, you know, blow up um, the levee that lets the lake flood his rival's village or something like that. Or, okay, yeah. Uh, ah, yeah. Good that's obviously not the sort of thing you could um, put into a published adventure because you wouldn't know what sort of parties people were playing. But if you were part of a regular group and uh, you want to create a specific scenario for your group, that might be an idea. All I need to do is put something flammable in front of my players and I can control them. Yeah. So. Because <laughs> the pretty lights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our That's, group loves fire. Yeah, I'll just give them some Von Holes quality lamp oil, and I guarantee that something will be on fire by the end of that adventure. So, right. Oh, I usually have to bribe with food. <laughs> nice, nice. So, also, uh, your your idea there too, uh, with the wizard thing, it would be a a good use of second sight in some ways. Uh, you could make the the shaman manipulate the winds of magic in certain ways. It could be a very mysterious adventure to get started. Oh yeah. These are all some great ideas. Did you guys have any, uh, any last minute thoughts we wanted to throw out? Uh, I think that's me. Yeah. yeah no, I think I am good. Yeah. Yeah. We came up with a lot of interesting ideas and, uh, and as we talked, they kind of started to come to light more and more and more. It was, right. it was, it was a good, good talk on that. So I'll just put out one GM tip out there is this exercise that we've kind of done just kind of talking through how we might do this 
if you have like a friend that maybe isn't playing in your games, but especially maybe if they have GM experience or role playing experience, sitting down and just talking through ideas with them can help you develop better adventures, better adventure ideas. It can be easy to fall into your own ruts on on what you do or how you go about it. And having conversation with someone else might help you get inspired in a way you might not otherwise be. So, you know, just taking a look at our discussion here. So that's a, it's a tip I would throw out for, for GMs out there. Um, another thing I would say too, is just a kind of as a, a wrap up of this is, you know, we've talked about Skaven and goblins, how to include them in your game, how to make them more than just cannon fodder and mooks, different ideas that you can use, you know, and a lot of these ideas and thoughts will come by knowing more about this. So, you know, getting an idea of what that is. So there are a bunch of resources out there if you want to learn more about Skaven and Goblins. Uh, Steve, why don't you start taking us through some of those? Yeah, so so, so a couple with the Goblins. Of, of course, there, there are the classic Warhammer Armies books, Orcs and Goblins. It's a great book. It's a great read. And of course, Wolf Rope 4th Edition, the Cluster I Tribe PDF. Um, that's newly came out. It's a great read. Uh, that'll kind of get you in depth, kind of the tribal society. Yeah, and, um, and one thing I want to mention on that, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but that PDF has a way for you to like make, customize, make what you need. Uh, like, uh, so I think uh, Dave said earlier, like you need a Goblin Scouts. This is, here's here's how you apply. It gives you like some easy to use rules to like create stat blocks and, and get what you need. I need a Shaman. I need a Scout. I need this. You know, um, it has all the pieces you need to kind of build it which uh, right. it's really cool. So I highly yeah. recommend if you're going to run, um, especially forest goblins <laughs> um, or even just goblins in general, that, you know, this this is a great place to start for fourth edition, yeah. especially. I was just going to say um, the uh, novel Skarsnik, if anyone can find that by Guy Haley, is a really good resource for goblins. Um, so uh, it's a bit difficult to um, find a copy these days, but uh, it's well worth a read if you can get hold of one. Yeah, I've never read that one, but it's on my list. So, um, and another thing too, before we move on, Steve, I wanted to mention on the Warhammer Armies books. Honestly, um, it doesn't have to be so. Warhammer Armies they stopped at Eighth Edition, and some of those Eighth Edition books are all hardcover. They can be very expensive to go buy now, um, even on eBay or whatever. But you can get the paperback like Seventh, Sixth, Fifth Edition books, and they have a lot of the same information in there. Um, and so I, and they're not expensive at all. You can pick up some of those older army books for like five bucks, 10 bucks online. Um, I, and, and they're definitely, I've, I can tell you that anytime I'm running something, um, and I wanted a little more information, I grow, go grab an army book as my starting point. Usually, especially if I don't have like an RPG dedicated resource for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, what I was going to mention with the uh, the cluster I tried PDF is, is that like you can like you, you well like Lance was saying, you can basically create your own tribe. Yeah. Go for your own story based off that PDF, giving you examples um, from the basic forest goblin to the mounts, armor, so on and so forth. Um, but bouncing over to Skaven, uh, obviously there's more Skaven information out there. 
of course, the classic Warhammer Army's Arm, book, Skaven, but like Lance was saying, the hardcovers are kind of hard to, to get. Uh, they're more expensive, so definitely go back in editions. It's pretty, I wouldn't say it's the exact same information, but it's definitely, it's, you know, come along, you know, the same path. Uh, you got Wolf Rope 2nd Edition, Children of the Horned Rat. I believe that's a big one. And uh, Wolf Rope 4th Edition, uh, the Horned Rat. Yeah, and, and, and Companion, yeah. One thing I want to mention, the second edition book is uh, available as a PDF that you can buy right now on DriveThruRPG from Cubicle 7. So um, it's I, I don't know how much it is. It's not very expensive. And if you're going to run, if you definitely if you're going to run a Skaven-based campaign, um, it is one that, you know, for as cheap it as is and all of the background information you get on Skaven, um, it's, uh, I highly recommend picking that up. And then, of course, if you're running a Skaven-based campaign in 4th edition, then the Horned Rat Companion is a must-buy. <laughs> it yeah. has everything you need. Absolutely. It has weapons. It has profiles. Um, it goes into depth about the different Skaven, um, uh, about different the different uh, major clans, but a bunch of minor clans as well, um, so that you can kind of get feelings for them. Uh, there's great artwork in there for all of this, as as always. But the uh, there's weapon special rules and stats, which uh, you want to include a rattling gun. You want to include a warp thrower, warp fire thrower. I mean, those things are in there. You need uh, to know the rules for like a, an assassin, you know, blade or whatever. That's all in the companion. Um, the horned rat book itself has lots of good Skaven information and lots of good Skaven inspiration um, for the adventure book. But if you just want stats and weapons, um, the vast majority of that is going to come from the companion. The companion would be where I go, but both are going to help you with getting great information about Skaven. Absolutely. And just, I guess, just general information, um, you, you know, for both. You got, you got the Wolf Rope 2nd Edition Old World Bestiary, the famous Bestiary that you can always check out. Well, not always check out. I mean, you got to get get it. Now, that one, I'm not sure if it's on Drive-Thru RPG. I mean, you might. I actually have to do some digging for that one. Which one? Um, yeah. Bestiary? For the 2nd Edition? Yeah, it is available yeah. as a PDF. Yeah, that's a good point, Steve. Um, there are some good stuff in there. It is available. The second edition B series available as an as an RP as a PDF, um, and honestly, I highly recommend that anyway. As a GM, if you're running any long term campaign, if you're trying to, so fourth edition doesn't have its B series yet. But if you, uh, you know, the fourth edition B series, I don't know exactly what's going to be in there, right? So we know it's different. Um, I don't know if we're going to have a breakdown of a bunch of different Skaven profiles and a bunch of different Goblin profiles. Um, some of the teases we've had, you know, have things like uh, unicorns and um, different beasts and stuff. Uh, so I definitely think we're going to have some cool stuff in there. I don't know what's going to be in there. But if it hasn't come out yet, and, and depending on what's in there, you know, maybe the fourth edition B-Series is a better option for you. But you can pick up the second edition B-Series um, for pretty cheap as a PDF. And it's one I recommend having anyway because... What if you're going, you want to do like Treeman or there's lots of different, you know, monsters and things that exist in the Warhammer world that fourth edition hasn't had an opportunity yet to touch on. And so if you're looking for inspiration or want to try to work to get those statistics and kind of convert them to fourth edition, having that second edition B-series is a great starting point. Well said. 
Of course, Warhammer, there's lots of novels. I mean, if you want to, like, have, like, just examples of kind of uh, parties kind of dealing with Skaven or Goblins, um, you know, there's a Witch Hunter series, Gotrick and Felix. I mean, it just goes on and on. You got got the End Time books. Um, There's just so much to read. Um, There's, honestly, you couldn't read them all. There's just a lot of books out there um, to get ideas. And of course, there's always new resource coming in the future. Like we said, the the uh, Imperial Zoo is going to be out here soon, and so on and so forth. You know, for 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 just creatures in the world. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of information that's out out there. Uh, Dave, did you want to add anything on what? Well, might I'll be... definitely um, second you on uh, Gotrek and Felix because Skaven Slayer obviously did so much to establish um, a lot of the details about Skaven, and Bill King went on to do all the short stories in the um, third edition of the Skaven Army book that came out for the third and fourth editions of the Warhammer Fantasy Battle Game, and. Um, sort of thing again that really established them and uh, maybe sort of never been um, bettered but uh, having said that C.L. Werner did do a series of novels that feature Thanquil as oh the... yeah I forgot about that so um, there's I think there's three books in that series yeah I think so and, uh, I again, yep. quite hard to track down but um, well worth uh, reading if you're a big skating fan Oh, I forgot about those. I haven't read those, but they're they're on my list. I know they're they're up there. I've been going through all the dwarf omnibus and dwarf. I've been on a dwarf kick, but um, I don't have time to read like I did back in the day. So it's it's all these releases you keep doing, Dave. I, I have to read all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> need to keep up. That's right. That's right. So a- anything to add on what we've already talked about? I know you did a lot of writing for, um, you know, in, in looking in for Horned Rat and Companion and stuff. Um, I mean, the yeah. Companion to me seems like the, the go-to number one thing if you're going to be running Skaven. Although those first couple of chapters, was um, it was Podrick and I um, wrote them. So uh, just the details about the social structure of the Skaven and... Um, uh, I mean, that was heavily cribbed from the um, Uniforms and Heraldry book. That's another book, I suppose, that's worth mentioning. <sighs> so, yeah, the little Uniforms and Heraldry book, there's quite a lot of interesting Skaven information in there. I really, I pray that Games Workshop re-releases those. They are uh-huh. so incredibly expensive, and yes. they are so cool. And you can't get them as PDF, um, and I, uh, I mean, not legally anyway. And so... Man, I would, uh, man, I would love, I would so love to get my hand on a PDF. Not just that one, yeah. the Empire one as well. They're, I, I've literally had them both in my hand, flipped through them, and said, "This is a cool book. I'm not going to spend the money uh-huh. on it now." And it's one of my biggest regrets because I wish the number of times I wished that was on my shelf is so many. For um, for books that are actually quite information light, there's a surprising amount of insight that you can get from them. And right. we've had quite a lot of um, had quite a lot of fun with say um, if we go to part of the empire, we can look at that page of the um, uniforms and heraldry of the empire book, and say, well, those are obviously all the major heraldic devices from that part of the empire. So they must have associations with certain noble houses and so on. Mm-hmm. So putting those sort of the imagery and the background together, um, yeah. those books are really helpful, actually. 
I always hope whenever we go to Gen Con and they have the auctions, I always hope that someone just doesn't know what they have. <laughs> and you just magically, magically find those uh, those older uh, books. But um, <laughs> Well, hopefully, Dave, you'll yeah, get to, go, to come to Gen Con next year. Hopefully, this pandemic hopefully. will be done. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. I've missed Gen Con. Me too. Oh, well, I've never been to America, so I would love to go to Gen Con next year. Uh, would love would love to have um, you, man. Gen Con's a good time. Yeah, there's yeah. so much to do. I'm, I mean, like, like uh, my daughter, she's two. She whipped out my Gen Con 2019 book, um, uh, and she's flipping through it. I'm like, you know, I, 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 I the book again. I flip through. I'm like, there's just so much that we didn't even touch on, Lance. Yeah, there's I know. So many things. Well, it's like. This next time, we're going for all four days, and we're getting a hotel right connected. That's we're gonna. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah, we're spending <laughs> some extra money this time. Though I will tell you before we kind of finish this all up, though, Dave, I did want to let you know um, one of our our life goals for our company, Crimson Tower Studios, which which owns the Old World Podcast, is for mm-hmm. us to be able to make a trip to UKGE and. Uh, and uh, actually go to the UK and see that visit Warhammer world. We'd love to visit cubicle seven headquarters. You know, those are, that's on our bucket list right now. Well, GE and Warhammer world, you could probably go to in subsequent days because Nottingham and Birmingham are fairly close. Hmm. Yeah. And you'd have to pop over to Ireland to um, get to cubicle seven. Oh yeah. My, I'm a little worried if I bring my wife to Ireland, she may never leave. So, Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, no, we uh, we we it's it's on our bucket list. So we also we've never been to the UK, and so we got the same thing. We'd love to come over. All right, guys. So that's it for our main topic. But before we move on, we'd like to move to our new show segment um, that uh, we had a ton of fun doing already. It's roll that party. Um, so welcome back. And uh, this in this segment, we give you ideas for the craziest of party career combinations. Uh, we brainstorm how we might design backgrounds and storylines to make even the most crazy, mismatched, and incompatible characters come together to form a cohesive and interesting story that solidifies your group of unlikely adventurers. So one thing to note is that we're discussing this concept from the point of view that we are at session zero or maybe even before. So we're coming together as players and a GM to build a meaningful background and a story to get your game started. While this brainstorming tactic may help you if you're struggling with incompatible character concepts partway through a campaign, it's probably going to be much more impactful to work on your character backgrounds and concepts as a group before the campaign starts. So uh, just getting that caveat out of the way, uh, Steve, why don't you tell us uh, what what are what are we working on in today's Roll That Party sure. segment? In today's Roll That Party segment, uh, we are going to look at the following four characters. <laughs> this will be an interesting one. We got a human knight, halfling peddler, high elf noble, and who's going to be that random career? Dave, you told me you had this already. You want to want to roll us up a species okay. and career? So for species, it's thirty six. So I'm a human. And for career, it's 45, which is a scout. Scout. So okay, um, so here's something we were going to throw in there. You, I don't know if you have a D4 or not, but um, do you have a D4 handy there? 
I can uh, random number between one and four. Yeah, random number. Give us a random number between one and four. Oh. Okay, and so our human is not a Reichlander, but a Nordlander. Oh. Nordlander scout. All right. Okay. Look at that. So, uh, so that's a. Uh, it was because uh, people don't think about this, but now you have different varieties of human. Um, you can actually argue that the halflings could have different clans that you could use too. All right, so let's get the party rolling here. <laughs> See what I did there? I'm terrible. Human knight, high elf noble, halfling peddler, and a Nordland scout. Who? Yeah. Peddler, peddler. Night. No, I this know. is I'm a tough one. I'm thinking for some reason, like I'm thinking for some reason, the halfling peddler and the human knight are like a Gotrek and Felix type of deal. <laughs> like the halfling <laughs> just happens to follow the human knight around um, and helps him in ver various ways. Um, I'm thinking the human knight really has no loyalty. Maybe he's an outcast. That's why he's got the halfling peddler as as a companion. Um, maybe the elf noble is. That's a tough one. Maybe okay. He's out and about. Maybe he does doesn't have any money, no coin. He just needs some assistance on something and he just happened to be at the same bar. So how about this? Here's here's an idea. How about the noble, the high elf noble, um is is potentially getting the the knight um and the scout are are literally working for him to travel to give him protection and a scout. As he's following the peddler around, um, as as part of some some study that this no, well, it wouldn't be a study. Some somehow I'm struggling to tie the peddler in because you could easily see that oh. the noble's traveling and needs a knight for protection and a scout to scout ahead. But the peddler, how do we tie that in? Maybe the peddler has information that the high elf noble needs, like he knows where maybe an artifact is or something that the noble actually came over for. Oh, so like he maybe some of sort of a treasure, a treasure hunting group, maybe yeah, type of deal. Maybe the halfling only knows a little bit of the information. He's kind of like BSing some of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, well, perhaps that's why he's there. Perhaps he's um, just sort of trying to convince them that he's useful rather than is actually useful. Yes. yes oh, like, like the the halfling great hunt or uh, what's it called? Not the great hunt. The oh yes, uh, oh. I know. I've also forgotten the term. Um, grand tour. It's the grand tour. Yes. Of course. So. Yes. So. That, that's an idea. So that could cause some potential party conflict in the long term, but it could be a yeah. great way to, it depends on your players. If they could, right. if they could handle the grand tour, um, like internally, but it could be fun because I could easily see a grand tour ending up in all sorts of unlikely adventures that they didn't mean to, you know, on the, on the border between Sylvania and in the moot or, yeah, Oh man! Or, like, these, the part, this party is in the mood then, and they've been uh, convinced to take the tour. Yeah. So yeah. the, yeah, and then so like the the halfling is taking them on the tour, and the noble knight in in scout are you know that's part of the noble's retinue, if I'm saying that word right. Okay. Maybe. 
You would definitely have to have, if, if the player for the halfling would definitely have to be able to wing situations because it could be where it's like he might know where something's at, but he's BSing because he might need some coin for his family or something along that line. But it might just so happen to be he might be on the right path to something at times uh-huh. with certain clues. So I think the Grand Tour idea, so uh, it sounds like we're leaning Grand Tour over Treasure Hunting think, Group, right? Uh, Is that? I think we are, yeah. Okay, so if we're leaning Grand Tour, my thought would be to tie in the peddler more than just somebody they hired off the street. Like this, like the High Elf Noble, maybe, okay, here's the background story. Uh, So even if the players know this, it could still be really fun to role play with the right players. But the High Elf Noble, um, some other High Elf Noble that fell for the Grand Tour thing, like hook line and sinker got totally taken lost a ton of gold when he was visiting the moot and he's kind of a pseudo rival of this other noble like somehow convinced him to come and go do the tour and so nice. like the halfling it almost so he he is convinced his rival to go and he's expecting the high elf noble our high elf noble to um have a rotten time because obviously right right epic. because i'm thinking though as a gm start me in the moot on a grand tour and I'll have you in the depths of Sylvania or the mountains um, or down the river towards Nuln on some crazy adventure with no problem. So are you saying that our halfling peddler doesn't have a very good sense of direction? Maybe. <laughs> Dave, well done. I love that. Uh-huh. It's somewhere <laughs> Northish. Uh, yeah. Maybe the scout's going, is that north? (laughs) And and because it's a grand tour, anytime they come to town and ask for directions, all the other halflings play along, even though he's going in the complete wrong direction. Yes. (laughs) It's just part of the the habit of the culture, right? It's like, oh, he's taking a grand tour. Okay. So maybe he started thinking, oh, what a good trick. And now he's in over his head. Way, like, yeah, I'm way over his head. I'm just making yeah. it all up because I don't know where I am anymore. Uh, <laughs> oh, definitely. You could take him out the mood to wherever. Yep, right. <laughs> that bleak, that bleak castle in Sylvania. He's he's trying to sell them yeah. on that. No, that's a that's a noble's cottage uh, in Everland. We're we're heading deeper into Everland. We'll we'll see more. Uh, well, you always get a friendly reception. At yeah. Slush. Slosh show, I mean, uh, I'm. <laughs> I mean, before you know it, the group's on a barge somewhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, so okay, uh, I I think we got it, guys. I think I think our our role that party here. It's it's the grand tour. I, so one thing I would say is is old worlders. This one can be fraught with a little bit of, you got to be careful when doing this. Anytime that you have one player character who is potentially in, even in a pseudo way, working against other player characters, you can cause real life conflict. So you want to be very careful. You want to make sure you have the right players that could handle that kind of storyline and, and, you know, be up front. Um, Even if you're the player's themselves don't have to be blind to what's actually happening some of the best role play that i've had in my games have come when the players all know something but their characters don't but you role play to your character and we made some great moments so but you always want to be careful whenever you put the potential for inner party conflict into a game right at the start 
I think what might be a little ray of light with this one, uh, Lance, is that if the halfling peddler realizes he needs the other's help, right? It's like yeah. I don't, I'm lost now. <laughs> then, oh, <laughs> Uh, right. Good stuff. And all you need is one situation where the halfling peddler provides for the party in a way that no one else could. You know, they make some good role or whatever. And now the party's more than just a, a noble hiring someone for the grand tour. It's become a true adventure at that point. And yeah. then, you know, all that stuff is less of an issue. Yeah. And and it, it would rely on a lot of GM uh, quick thinking, too, because, because yeah. you know, this party might be going toward a goal, but who knows, the goal may change or they might find something else or, you know, just, you know, there's so many variations, you know, yeah. just to make it fun, you know, going through certain events, you know, that might lead them to, into a different, you know, like, hey, we started uh, looking for this, but we ended up here doing this and we got this now. Yeah. And then who who knows second season can be going back to trying to find the original <laughs> thing. Right. So uh what do you think their ultimate fates are then? Ultimate fates. The, I, so I I think um ultimately the the party ends up I mean they could end up actually oh this is crazy. Maybe the ultimate fate is this noble tries to pass on the grand tour issue to another noble. <laughs> <laughs> like pay it forward <laughs> in a bad way. And so they all work together on, I could see an entire adventure being players all working together on a, on a grand tour against somebody else that maybe <laughs> they, they didn't like in a previous, I, I can also see like, can you imagine like after the first adventure, all the characters probably know how terrible with directions the peddler is, but you know, I feel like in every town they stop in, the peddler's giving directions to people that are completely wrong, <laughs> which could be adventure seeds constantly coming at you. Right. Oh, and be, you also uh... got to think about the elf noble. Like how smart is the elf noble? Like, like, can he tell directions or is it, has he been like a pampered spoiled noble that right. really never had to do anything uh, for himself? Well, even if he is smart, he's a long way from home. Right. Right, and he he probably doesn't want to let anyone else know that he fell for this, right? So, <laughs> I was going to be I was going to be much faster. I was going to say they're all eaten by vargeists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my fate for them would be they uh, exit the barge and they're in the Albion for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know? really did get lost. Yeah, they, yeah, they well, went yeah. way far afield. No, there was no campaign. shit in the movie. <laughs> uh, Two-year-long campaign. Uh, awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was fun. That was a good one, guys. So, do you think you have a combination that might stump us, or perhaps you're struggling with how to get a party to work together as a group? Uh, let us know your situation, um, and maybe we can brainstorm with you. Send your crazy party concepts to us at questions at oldworldpodcast.com with the subject line, Roll That Party, and we'll be happy to discuss whatever crazy combinations or careers you've come up with. Awesome. So, Dave, one of our favorite questions for new guests to join us on the show is to ask them, what is your best Woofrup experience or story that you've had? Uh, well, I was uh, sort of thinking about this one, and my best Wiffrup experience is very different to my best Wiffrup story. Oh, okay. So, I, I was I was going to answer them both, 
And uh, I suppose uh, one is sort of um, quite easy to answer, which is um, recently when we um, finished playing The Enemy Within, because obviously we were playtesting it within the company, um, Dom, the CEO of Cubicle 7, was like, oh, well, which um, part of The Enemy Within do you think is the best? And I said, um, the Hordrat, and Podrick said, uh, Power Behind the Throne. And then I realised I was being a bit sort of uh, bigging myself up because I had forgotten how good Power Behind the Throne was. And so my best woofer experience has been both times I've run Power Behind the Throne um, for entirely new role players. And I'd always approached Power Behind the Throne thinking, oh, how are they going to handle this? Because it's all just talking and getting to know people. And felt really sort of anxious about it. And then both times it ended up with the players saying that was the best role-playing game we've ever played. So. Awesome. That's my best... Power Behind the Throne is definitely my best Wiffrip experience. But my best Wiffrip story is um, very different. Uh, <laughs> so when when I had started third edition Wiffrip, when I started working for that, I had no experience. I wasn't part of a group during that time. And uh, it was very different... Um, Mechanically and in terms of its presentation, it's not not a big book. It's sort of a lot of the information is on dice and cards. Right. So I thought um, oh, I really ought to get some experience playing third edition Wiffrit before I continue to write for it because it's a very different game. And I went to uh, a local nearby village called Glenno, uh, there had been a sort of gaming centre that had opened up there at the time, and I went along and said, is anyone here playing with Rip, and um, got introduced to a group. And uh, all made our introductions, and uh, the GM said, um, you haven't read it, have you? <clears throat> and I said, no, which was technically not a lie. Right? So we started playing. And then I went along the next week, and what happened is um, the guy running the game was a friend of my sister's uh, boyfriend at the time, and uh, he'd told them who I was. So I joined in, and they said, oh, you know, uh, Dave, you said you hadn't read the game that we're playing, and I was like, nope. And they were like, uh, but you did write it, didn't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did, so... I had to sort of admit that I'd been uh, joining Incognito in the hope of getting the authentic experience. And it was terribly embarrassing, obviously. Oh, no. Uh, how did how did it end up? Um, well, uh, you know, uh, I played for a couple more weeks. <laughs> but um, it sort of fizzled out anyway, I think, despite my, uh, my trickery. So... Uh, <laughs> They they apparently rolled well in their intuition roll. So, <laughs> no, it was just networking. Oh, okay. Oh, I'd got in. I'd sneaked in with my little spy hat on. I didn't think <laughs> anyone knew. You know, you might be uh, interested to know. You might be find it funny. Is I've actually never actually played or ran the enemy within. Um, I've done so much Warhammer and played so many uh-huh. different adventures and stuff, but. Um, I've never actually played the enemy within and I can uh, tell are you, you planning to? I, I, it's, it's, it's a bucket list item, but it's not, uh-huh. so, it's not currently on my calendar. Um, it, it's such a huge, uh, 
undertaking um, that I want to give it the the right. I don't know. I feel like the right reverence for it, and and I yeah. want to make sure that you know I do it right. But I can tell you, like you know, I haven't done a deep read in any of the books too deep. Um, Horned Rat is the one I went most into because I could just the the storyline is immediately invoking me, and it was new, right? I had a general idea of all the storylines, but Power Behind the Throne is the one that intimidates me the most by far. Yes, I, I can understand why, but I would say, in my experience, the intimidation isn't, um, no, it justifies itself, actually, when you start with it. Yeah, and all of the aids for keep keeping straight all the different people, I think is a huge thing. Without ah. those, I I don't know, I don't know that I could do it. <laughs> But it, it'll definitely. So I guess I'm I'm really glad to hear about your experiences because that makes me feel like when I uh, do get around to running it, that maybe it's not. Maybe I'm making it up to be a, a bigger hurdle than it really is. Yeah, I think. How are you with different voices? Eh, he's great. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Oh, you got it. Well, it's is good. <laughs> so as long as you just figure out how the, the real challenge with power behind the throne is that you need to um embody about 20 different npcs that's it oh, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've got if you could, can think of like oh people you can do halfway uh decent impressions of and so on and go right that'll be so and so that'll be so and so and just try and keep it straight and um, then uh it shouldn't be a problem Awesome. You almost have to have like an older actor you just like you know from movies and just yeah. replicate their voice. That's what I. Characters. That's what I did. Uh, we ran a Star Robert Trek. De Niro, guys. <laughs> yeah. William Shatner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that's a really. That's actually a great piece of advice. Impersonate celebrities to uh, get different voices. That's what I did at Star Trek. I did uh, the Admiral. I just I did a terrible impression of Sean Connery for it right. <laughs> so it's like lock phasers on target uh, so. <laughs> what'd he say yeah, nobody knows yes i love it all right well everybody um that's the end of our show tonight uh dave thank you so much for joining us we really enjoyed having you on i really enjoyed talking to you about everything uh it's been a pleasure Oh, cheers, Lance. That's great, great time. Great time, Dave. Absolutely. So uh, hopefully uh, you'll be back. There's lots more of uh, Warhammer World to discover and publish, um, and uh, we're looking forward to 4th Edition being here for quite a while. So uh, having said that, um, our next episode, guys, I do want to let you know we've already got one uh, in the chamber recorded for uh, you all been asking us over and over again for more career episodes. So uh, we just recorded a career episode on uh, Herbalist and uh, using the herb rules. Uh, it's a great episode. Um, so you should expect that one coming sometime soon. And uh, I, we have another career episode also teed up that we're going to be recording right around the corner on the coachman and some of those rules in there as well. So I know y'all been asking for more career episodes, so they're coming. In addition, I, I know we keep saying this, we're eventually going to get to all dwarf at this point. 
I'm not going to pre- pretend I even know when it is, but um, we're, we are, we enjoyed that book quite a bit and it's, uh, it's on the docket for us to talk about. So uh, just uh, be on the lookout, follow our social media, uh, and uh, we, we should be able to, uh, to uh, get that. So before we, uh, we post our own social media, Dave, where can uh, folks find you and uh, reach out to you at? Oh, um, I think if they just get in touch with um, Cubicle 7 one way or another, they can get a hold of me. Awesome. Awesome. And so Cubicle uh, 7's and Twitter? I do, do read the Rat Catchers Guild every day, but uh, I don't often post that. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a Discord server. We'll include a link to the Rat Catchers Guild in our show notes as well. Um, and then, of course, uh, Cubicle 7's Twitter and Facebook page will all be... Honestly, you can just Google Cubicle 7 and you're going to find all that stuff right away. So yeah, check, check those out. Well, Intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. Uh, you can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, and, of course, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash oldworldpodcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards, too. Check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Uh, also, let us know what you think. Uh, visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, this is Lance saying good night. And if a cloaked and hooded figure offers you a glowing stone as payment, just run away. This is Steve saying goodnight, and if it's green or furry, just watch out. <laughs> uh, this is Dave, and uh, thank you very much, Lance and Steve. That was great. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC. 